all rental real estate has tax advantages. So if you're investing in rental real estate, you're already ahead. But the way the scale kind of goes, the more passive you are, the less tax advantages there are compared to the more active you are. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike McManus, here on Surgeon Syndicate with Thomas Castelli. Thomas is a CPA and partner at Hall CPA who help real estate investors keep more of their hard-earned money in their pockets rather than that of the government through proactive tax strategy and planning. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm happy to be here today. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got into real estate and taxes. Right. So um, yeah, I went to college for accounting is the direction my parents always kind of pushed me in. And everybody I talked to always said, hey, if you're going to go to school for business, you got to go for like accounting or finance. So there I was. But then when I was in college, I kind of realized, okay, doing what I'm doing in accounting and finance, going to a career in that field won't necessarily get me to the lifestyle and the type of life I want to lead. So what ended up happening was I started reading books. There's a few books I picked up. The Richest Man in Babylon was one of them, then uh, followed up by Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then from there, the rabbit hole goes pretty deep. But there's a continuous theme. It was real estate. So people who built wealth typically invested in real estate. And what happened was when I graduated college, I was about to start an internship at a top accounting firm. And I was like, okay, before I do this, I'm going to go to this syndication three-day weekend that I found out about. And this was during the summer, right in between the end of my senior year in college and right before I started my internship. And basically, that turned me on to the kind of the syndication business model. And I really fell in love with it, really fell in love with the idea of acquiring properties and using other people's money and raising capital and all that. And from there, I started going to their monthly meetings and started investing as a limited partner um, in a few deals. And someone who eventually became my mentor said, Hey, Tom, look, if you, ever find a deal, bring it to me and we'll, if it pencils out, we'll syndicate it. So I ended up finding a deal through a broker a few years later, and we ended up syndicating it with a group of partners. That deal since went full cycle. And we actually sold it at the height of COVID, which has its own set of challenges. But since then, I've been focusing on accounting and investing as a limited partner. So that's kind of my story, how I got into it and kind of where I'm at now. You know, it's funny as doctors, we tend to be in that highest tax group. So having a good accountant to help with tax planning is a critical thing. And it's interesting because one of my experiences for years, I talked to my accountant, I'm like, hey, what can we do to reduce taxes? And a lot of the time I got kind of a no, an answer of they had no idea. How does that versus your average accountant out there and what you do and helping provide better tax planning. Absolutely. So it's really interesting. So most accountants end up, tax accountants at least, end up filing your tax returns every year. You submit your paperwork, they'll fill it out, they'll send you a return, tell how much you owe or how much you're going to get refunded, and they'll send you on your merry way. And they'll never really give you much actual advice on how to reduce taxes. And if they do, it's the standard stuff like contribute to your 401k or so on and so forth, things like that. And really, to go even deeper than that, what most accounts consider tax planning is basically collecting your information throughout the year, putting it into a tax projection software and saying, okay, great, 
you're making this amount of money. This is how much tax you're going to owe. This is how much you paid. This is how much you have to make on your quarterly payments. Like that's what most accountants consider tax planning. We do things a little bit differently. We look at it as tax strategy and planning, right? So it's kind of a combined instance. Let me break it down like this. So when you fill out your tax return or your tax returns filled out for the year by your CPA, it's a report card of what happened that previous year. And the thing is like once that previous year ends, you're limited into what you can do to actually change the results. It's like taking a test and then expecting the results to change after it's graded. You already took the test and submitted it. So the difference is, is like we take a look at your situation and where you are today. Like, so what's your assets, what's your investment plans, what's your goals, your income streams, all that good stuff. We say, where are you looking to go? What's the next one, two, three, four years look like for you? And from there, we outline a tax plan that includes a number of strategies that you can use to minimize taxes as you go along your journey from where you are today to where you're looking to go. And basically, if you execute those strategies, when it comes time to file your tax return this year, next year, the year after that, so on and so forth, you're going to be putting yourself in a much more favorable position because you're actually going to understand what's available to you rather than just saying, go put your 401k. It's like, okay, well, instead of investing in a single family residence, for example, and doing it passively, well, did you know if you accumulate a number of properties and you do it on a full-time basis or maybe your spouse does it on a full-time basis, you could use the real estate professional status. Like Most CPAs are not going to tell you that. They might not even tell you that even if you qualify and they're doing your taxes. So we really look at your situation, say what's available to you. We explain to you what's available and people have a very clear understanding of how to navigate the tax code from there. Okay. Because that's always been a question. If you come into it and you're a doc, you're talking about going to school. And so we go to school and go to school and go to school and learn this very narrow world and then come out. And especially today where most docs are employed with a high W-2 income and don't have any idea really besides your retirement plan of what's available or what to do. Are there any specific things if somebody's listening to go talk to their accountant about that might be some strategies that money they're already spending or things that they could do a little different to move into a better tax position? Yeah. So I could break it down like this. So if you have a W-2 job, you're running a practice, right? For example, and you're in those upper tax brackets, it's important to understand that that's considered ordinary income. It's very difficult to shelter ordinary income. However, if you start looking at other asset classes and other ways you can take your earned income, their income you're earning from your job and move into more tax advantage sources, you'll ultimately reduce your taxes. So kind of one of the best asset classes to do this is going to be real estate. And I'm going to break down real quick why that is, right? So Let's say, for example, you're in the 37% tax bracket and you make an extra $100,000. You work a little bit more. Maybe you take on a few more clients, depending on your situation. If you're in the 37% tax bracket at the federal level, you're going to be taxed $37,000 on that $100,000. You also have state tax, FICA taxes, all that good stuff is actually going to be much higher than 37%. But that's at the federal level. Now with real estate, Real estate has this non-cash expense called depreciation, and it's non-cash because it only exists on paper. It doesn't actually take money out of your bank account. So to kind of paint an example of how powerful this is, let's say you generated $100,000 in rental income for rental properties. Now there's going to be some expenses that are going to be deductible against that income for operating the property. You're going to have utilities, repairs and maintenance, property management fees, legal fees, so on and so forth. And let's say that amounts to $45,000, right? So now you have $100,000 of income, you have $45,000 expenses. Now you're going to have $55,000 of net income. 
And now in most businesses, including a medical practice, you'd end up paying tax on that $55,000. And again, if you're already at the 37% tax bracket, that extra $55,000 is going to cost you $20,350 in taxes. That hurts. However, with depreciation, let's say that your depreciation expense comes in at, let's call it $60,000, right? Um, so now that depreciation expense is going to go on your P&L and it's going to create a tax loss. And that means that you didn't pay tax on that $55,000 despite generating positive cash flow. So I'll walk through that one more time. So you had $100,000 of revenue, you had $45,000 of like hard expenses that left you with $55,000 of cash. Most businesses, you'd pay tax on that. But with depreciation, say you had a $60,000 expense, well, now you're going to shelter that $55,000 of net income from tax, pocket that, and now you're going to be left with a tax loss of $5,000. So that's kind of the first thing that I think is helpful for a lot of people is that realizing that if you can shift your earned income, start buying rental properties or investing in a rental real estate, whether it be through syndication, whatever the case may be, you're going to start actually kind of theoretically reducing your taxes because you're not paying taxes on this source of income. Whereas had you just went and worked another however many hours or took on X amount more clients, you would ultimately have to pay a lot of tax on that extra income you generated. Okay. So instead of working more hours, spend your time finding properties or places to invest in real estate. So that then the money that comes out of those investments comes out at a lower tax rate or more of it comes out tax before taxes. Right, right, right. And to give a good example of how this will work, let's just say that you had, I'm just going to use easy math here. Let's say you had $500,000 of income. You're paying 37% on the whole amount. For simple example, you would pay $185,000 in taxes, right? But now let's say that you had $100,000 of income you generated. So you double that 55. Now you're at 110. Let's say you're 110. Well, now suddenly you have $610,000 of income, but that 110 was sheltered from tax. So what I'm talking about right here is the effective tax rate. So you paid $185,000 on your $500,000 of income, your effective tax rate would be 37%. But now if you add that extra 110,000, so now you have 610,000, but you still paid the same amount in tax because that extra 110 was sheltered, right? From tax, thanks to depreciation. Now your effective tax rate is actually a lot lower. So your effective tax rate in this case would be 30%. So you're actually, by shifting your income to these more tax advantage sources, you're effectively reducing your taxes by doing that. Okay. So if a new doc came in and said, Thomas, I got to find a better way to get through this, and they start looking at real estate, the difference for them at going and buying a rental property and managing it versus, say, investing in a syndication, what type of different tax advantages will they see with one way versus the other? All right. So I could break that down. So all rental real estate has tax advantages. So if you're investing in rental real estate, you're already ahead. But the way the scale kind of goes, the more passive you are, the less tax advantages there are compared to the more active you are. So to kind of paint the picture, if you're investing as a limited partner, what I just had described to you will be in your favor. And that's going to be a core tax benefit for you. You'll also be able to use the losses from real estate to perhaps shelter some, if not all, of the gains from the sale of that syndicate. So that's kind of the core benefits of investing in syndications from a tax perspective. You're able to put the money into the syndicate, do little to no work, and collect tax-free or tax-advantaged income. So that's kind of how it works for syndicates. Now, if you go out and buy a rental property, like say you have a practice or you have a full-time job and you go and buy a rental property, you're going to be able to do the same thing I just mentioned, but you're also going to have the ability to 
1031 exchange that property if you ever want to sell it. To kind of give it an example what a 1031 exchange is, or what a 1031 exchange does for you rather, is when you sell a property, you're going to hope it appreciates in value. And when it appreciates in value, you're going to have a capital gain. The 1031 exchange allows you to defer the capital gain by investing the sales proceeds into another property. And usually that property is going to be bigger or better, or you're going to buy multiple properties. So effectively, what a 1031 exchange does for you is it allows you to continue growing your portfolio without paying taxes on it. And that's like an exit strategy is available to you as an investor. It's challenging to do that with a limited partnership because the actual sponsor has to execute that. You as a limited partner typically can't execute a 1031 exchange. There are ways and nuances and weird things to do, but typically it doesn't work out. So as going from the pure passive bucket to like the the part-time bucket, if you're getting your own properties, gives you that ability to use a 1031 exchange. It also gives you the ability to do something called maybe the burst strategy. Some people know is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, or buy, borrow, die, as it's sometimes referred to. Basically what happens is when you buy a rental property, over time, it's going to increase in value. It's going to increase in value. It's going to appreciate, and you're going to pay down the principal on that loan, and you're going to have more equity in the property. It's going to increase your net worth. Now, that equity is typically going to be trapped in the property unless you sell. Now, if you can sell, you can use a 1031 exchange, like I just mentioned, or you can use a cash out refinance. And what a cash out refinance or HELOC would do is allow you to tap into that idle equity that you're building in your property, take the proceeds, which are tax-free, so you're not paying tax on those proceeds, and presumably use them on a down payment towards another property and continue to build your portfolio. And if you do that, the interest from that loan will also be tax-deductible. So I guess to kind of summarize that as a limited partner, you're able to generate tax-advantaged income and oftentimes shelter at least partially the gain on sale. However, when you move into like that part-time passive bucket and you're buying your own properties, not only can you do that, but you also have a lot of flexibility with how you want to build your portfolio. You can keep the property as the equity grows, use cash out refinances, take your money out, buy the next property, keeping the property you have. You could sell the property, use a 1031 exchange to buy another property, and you can keep doing a 1031 exchange throughout your life and to keep building your portfolio. So that's like the passive and then the part-time side. And if you want, I could go into like what happens if you do full-time. Okay. And so we'll go into more if you do it full time. But um, so this morning I was listening to your podcast and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But there was an episode where they were talking about a 721 exchange, which I had never heard of yeah. before. So it was this moment like, what? Tell me about the 721 and really where that would play into a kind of a lifetime strategy. Yeah. So in a lifetime strategy, say that this is more for like that part-time or even if you're in the full-time bucket, it would be challenging to do this. In fact, I don't even know if you can with a limited partnership type of thing, interest. But basically what happens is when you own property, there might become a time in your life where you no longer want to manage property. You've been there, you've done that, you want to move on from it. So what 721 exchange allows you to do, and you don't have to be in that position to do this. You could do this when like outside of that circumstance, but it allows you to contribute a property to a partnership in exchange for partnership interests. Now, when you do that, a few things happen. The first thing is it's not a taxable event. So when you contribute a property to a partnership, you're not paying taxes on it, not today at least. And then you're getting the partnership interests. Now, what happens is that allows you to diversify because presumably the partnership you would contribute it to is usually some type of fund or a REIT that has a bunch of different properties in it. So you're diversifying your portfolio 
And then also, you don't necessarily have to sell your entire partnership interest at once or your shares, if you will, at one time. You can kind of spread that out. And as you sell it, you're going to recognize capital gains tax. So really, the crux of what a 721 exchange allows you to do it allows you to get out of active investing or being responsible for the property. It allows you to diversify your portfolio in many cases when you're investing in a partnership that already has a lot of different assets. And then two, it allows you to kind of spread out your capital gains tax across a number of years, or perhaps even eliminate it if you structure your estate the right way. So, Okay. And so all of these things are not really something that I'm going to go do a Google search and figure out the paperwork myself. <laughs> right. So this is really finding somebody who specializes in that if you talk to your accountant and you're like, hey, I want to do a 721 exchange and they don't get excited, you should probably talk to somebody different. Yeah. So very interesting, kind of like what we were mentioning before. A lot of accountants don't do tax strategy. They don't do planning. They don't even understand half this stuff exists. And when you approach them about it, they'll just tell you no. They'll tell you no either because they're just scared of it or they don't want to do the research to figure it out for themselves. So really, at the end of the day, when you're in the game of real estate, there's a lot of tax advantages available to you. You want to be working with a real estate tax specialist who understands, first of all, that all this stuff exists so that they are actually educating you on this, right? Not necessarily the other way around, but this isn't something you want to do yourself. Like you're not going to execute a 721 exchange yourself. You're going to at least have a tax account involved. You might even have an attorney involved and they're going to work in tandem to help you make sure that you're doing this transaction correctly. Because if you don't do it correctly, it's not going to be the end of the world, but there could be unintended tax consequences. So you want to make sure you're crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's. And that's what I found is from the very beginning, when you're talking to accountants about real estate stuff, you can tell from the first moment you mentioned real estate, if they get this look that's like, oh, no, this is going to be complex. Or if their face lights up like, oh, yeah, now we're getting into the cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a good question to ask when you're evaluating a CPA or a tax professional is, how many clients do you have that are working in real estate? How many clients have you had that are using the real estate professional status? How many clients do you have do 1031 exchanges? As you kind of educate yourself on this stuff and you start asking these questions to tax professionals, like to your point, if they're looking confused or they're not getting excited, then chances are you're probably not working with the ideal individual for your situation. Thank you so much, Thomas. This has been one of the most amazing episodes. I always love talking with accountants because as doctors, we tend to be in such a high tax bracket and the value they give us is incredible. So thank you for joining us today and tune in to our next episode to hear the second half of our conversation with Thomas because there's more great stuff to come. Thank you for joining us here on the Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.